0: Oh, I love back to school time. But you know what? When I was going back to school, it always made me really, really anxious the day before school started. Um, I'm not sure why I was so nervous about it, but I was nervous every single year when I was from elementary school through high school the day before school started. Um, And uh, you know, back then, uh, in the old days, we didn't get to wear shorts to school. We had to wear at least blue jeans. Um, And so I had my new clothes, um, which were all purchased with the idea that winter was coming. All of those clothes. And so I would wear them on the first day of school as if winter had arrived. (laughs) And so I'm in these stiff, stiff blue jeans. It was before they started putting stretchy stuff in blue jeans, Stiff blue jeans. I had on long sleeve shirts, maybe even a sweater. Who knows? But I was sweating. So that made it worse. I was, so I was anxious about school. I was anxious about the fact that I was in my new clothes, which you were supposed to wear. Everyone did. And we were all sweating and stinking. It was a, hor- a horrible time. Back to school. And all they were going to do once I arrived was they're just simply going to continue my education continue those foundations for my life that I was going to build the rest of my life upon they were going to continue those and and you know I, I, a couple of months ago I bought my two textbooks that we used in English um this is american lit uh, i took my sophomore year and this is british lit which i took my junior year and I'm going to be truthful here. The foundation, I'm still friends with those teachers today on Facebook. Um, the foundations that they they helped lay in my life educationally, I, I still utilize those today. And that's why I have such fond attachments to these two books um, because of what I was taught. And the foundations that those teachers helped place in my life educationally. And that's all that was going to happen Uh, As I went back to school, in elementary school, in junior high, in high school, they were all just covering the basics. And for these, my favorite classes, uh, American Lit and British Lit. Great foundations. And all of us have had some kind of educational learning foundation of some kind. But when we think about it, Everything in this world requires some kind of foundation, some kind of solid base, something true, something accurate, a base from which to build other things upon, not just education, but it applies to houses that are being built. It applies to buildings that we walk into, bridges we drive over, roads we drive upon. All of them need the correct groundwork. They all need the correct foundation. And those foundations have to be nearly perfect, because if it's off just a little bit, it's not going to last. If it's off just a little bit, it's going to lean and begin to fall. Or if it's off just a little bit, it's going to eventually collapse. Or if it's off just a little bit, one end of the building or, or might sink just a little bit on one side, and eventually the entire thing is going to crumble. So the foundation has to be right. It has to be right. And that's what back to school is all about. That's what it was all about, getting that foundation, building the next part of our educational foundation. And we are so blessed in Stuttgart, and they're so blessed in Malvern to have here and there such great teachers um, who really care about what they're doing and investing into those children. And what they're doing with those educational foundations are very structured and they're very organized and they have detailed plans about how they're going to accomplish these foundations that they're building into our children. And they do a really good job. I'm so, so proud of our teachers. But we need the same thing spiritually. We need to see that same type of foundation, solid and strong and true, being built into our lives spiritually. Maybe you're wanting to follow Jesus. Um, Maybe you're wanting to know more about God, but sometimes you just feel like maybe things are just so random. Maybe you have done what we call the Bible flip. So maybe you take your Bible... And you're wanting something to build your life upon for that day. And so with that, then you just kind of, you, you open it up and you begin to do what we call the Bible flip and you just begin to scroll through and you flip through the pages and you place your finger down and you read that verse. And there, there is where you try to grab some inspiration for that day or something for that day to help move you on. So you point to a verse and you read it. Lots and lots and lots of people do this. It may sound familiar to you because maybe you did that yesterday or today or this morning. But even though we mean well when we do the Bible flip, even though we mean well, we have great intentions, we want to grow, we find it difficult to find any growth traction in our lives with things like the Bible flip. And here's why one reason why, because it's all so random. It's all so random. It's not highly planned. It's not highly purposed. And so it doesn't really help build a foundation, a firm, solid foundation from which we can develop our lives upon. So spiritually, month after month, if we do the Bible flip, month after month, year after year, these random attempts at growth usually don't feel, uh, land us feeling very solid. They don't leave us feeling like we really have a good foundation from which we can build the rest of our lives. And you know, the honest truth, that might be true. I mean, maybe, just maybe... Our foundations aren't that great. So what happens if months from now, when the hurricane winds of life blow trouble your way against your life? What happens? Or if the earth around you begins to shake because of some family tragedy, what's going to happen to our lives if our foundation is not strong enough What's going to happen to our lives? What's going to happen to our families? What's going to happen between us and God? Will one part of our lives begin to sink into the earth and start to lean and finally collapse? Will we begin to shudder under the weight of trouble and stress and eventually just crumble? Or will we make it? Will we withstand the storm? I mean, albeit probably scared, and yes, shaken, and tired, and maybe scarred, but yet still standing. See, our foundation matters. Now, honestly, here at Stuttgart Harvest Church, and in your little baby sister church, the church in Malvern, that's what we try to build upon week after week, Sunday after Sunday, small group upon small group. We're trying to build upon that foundation. And this month, very specifically, we're trying to make a very specific effort to strengthen that foundation of your faith. And that's why in August, we are going to simply be going back to school, Jesus style. Watch this. Like that music, Whitney. The roll it. There we go. Going back to school, Jesus style. Um, So here's where we're jumping into scripture. The once Christian killer turned Christ follower. His name is Paul. Paul knew all about foundations. Paul clearly knew about foundations. Um, Paul had one of the best foundations around that was available in that day. His education was spectacular. He was among the brightest because he had one of the best educations, but he didn't have a foundation that was laid by Jesus. So when Paul uh, began to follow Jesus, probably for the very first time in his life, he was behind. He was behind following Jesus. He was behind the disciples who had now been called apostles. They had just spent three years training at the feet of Jesus. But Paul did quickly catch up. In fact, it is alluded by Paul that he was possibly taught by directly from Jesus as well. For about three years, Paul alludes to this in Galatians, for about three years, soon after Paul became a follower of Jesus, um, soon after he submitted his life to the care and the control of Jesus, Paul alludes to the fact that he learned directly from Jesus. So however it happened, we don't know, however God's Spirit laid the Christ-following foundation for Paul's life, however it happened, it did happen. And Paul spent the rest of his life after that helping other people start following Jesus and helping to lay that same foundation into their lives as well. And Paul spent a significant portion of his life traveling from major city to major city to major city, starting new churches, helping people to follow Jesus. And one of those cities was called Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Now, um Thessalonica had between 65 and a hundred thousand people we're not sure how many but it was Macedonia's Macedonia's uh most important port here's a picture of the area the Macedonian area and Thessalonica is a part of that. Um now at the time that Paul this is somewhere around the early 50s not the 1950s not the 18 1750s no no the just 50s <laughs> so somewhere around the year 50 um the early 50s um We have all of this happening, we're going to be talking about today. So, at this point in the early 50s, probably the only new covenant writing that was around so far was just the letter that had been written by the brother of Jesus. His name was James, the letter written by James. And this has been circulating to all the churches that were around and in Israel. Now, Paul would have been very familiar, after he began to follow Jesus, very familiar with the details of this letter. As we get started with this series, um, we want to help you understand even how this church in Thessalonica got started. And so, that's where we're going today. So we're going to look at how it got started and then we're going to look at some information directly related to this church in Thessalonica. But at this point in our in our history The church has not started yet we're going to be looking at acts chapter 17 i'm going to read a few verses here they'll be on the screen for you um let's go through this paul and silas then traveled through the towns um amphipolis and uh apollonia and they came to thessalonica here's the town that we're talking about it's a major city uh and there was a jewish synagogue as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service three Sabbaths in a row, and he used scriptures to reason to the, with the people. Um, and so that's three weeks in a row. He's there. And he explains the prophecies. and he's explaining this using the Old covenant, the Old Testament. So he explains the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and he must rise from the dead. And he said to the people, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. So, Paul in this moment is doing what we talked about last week, part of it. He is in the process of making disciples. He's in the process of seeing people begin to believe in, rely on, entrust their lives to the care and the control of Jesus. That's what he's doing. Verse four. Some, that means not a lot, but some, of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many. So there were some Jews, but many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So in just three weeks, all of these new believers began to follow Jesus. Most of whom are not Jewish. Now, Paul always took these new believers, and Paul would connect them to a local body, a local gathering of believers, and, and it was called a church. But there was no church in Thessalonica. There was not a church. So he had new believers, but he had no church. So Paul takes these new believers, and he turns them into a church. He said, great, now we have a gathering of believers, okay? y'all are brand new believers you are now the church in Thessalonica so here we have Paul in this very large city for only three weeks and he's already got some Jews a handful he's already got many Greek men quite a few prominent women and they've all submitted their lives to the care and the control of Jesus so wow we have a brand new local gathering of believers. A church is now born. So here we go. That's awesome. Great. We've got, a, we've got new believers. We've got a church. So that means everything's going to be okay. They're all following Jesus now. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be up and to the right. The bills are going to be paid. They're not going to get sick. They're going to have a successful, happy, rich life. Right? Wrong that's not right. So let me jump in here for just a moment. I want to say this. Anytime you hear any type of teaching, whether it's inside of a church, or whether it's on Facebook, or whether it's on TikTok, or a reel, or in somebody else's church, and if they are saying something that sounds like that, That to follow Jesus means you're going to get everything you want. He's going to answer all your prayers the way you want them answered. You're going to be successful. You're going to have money coming in. You're going to be rich. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to have everything you want. Your bills are going to be paid. You're not going to get sick. I want you to know in advance that is a lie. It is not true. They are teaching not the real gospel of Jesus. No, they are false teachers always and that means they are looking to get some kind of power over you or they're looking to get your money into their pockets because Paul did not make them any such promise. Do you know why? Because Jesus did not ever make any kind of promise. You know what Paul promised them? He promised them exactly what Jesus promised them. You follow Jesus, oh, okay, great. Before you do, let me let me make sure you know this. You're going to suffer. It's going to happen. You will suffer for it. Now there's a great church growth strategy come to Jesus we gonna suffer but it's the truth sometimes you just suffer on Sundays because when is he gonna be done all right here we go Paul told them the truth he certainly did and sure enough sure enough here's here's what happens verse 5 But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob, that can never sound good, and they uh, start to start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, this is one of the brand new believers just been believing less than three weeks. They attacked the home of Jason searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out, uh, out to the crowd, this mob. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead, and they took them before the city council. And here's what they said. Paul and Silas have caused such trouble all over the world. That can almost be literally translated as they've turned the world upside down. They shouted and then they're now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. And they are guilty by the way of treason against Caesar <laughs> like the Jews were worried about that guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus in verse 10 that very night the believers now that's this same group we're talking about this new church gathering of people uh, made up of people who have been following Jesus less than three weeks at the most the most mature believer there was three weeks some were less. So these new believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there at Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Sound familiar? Verse 11. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result. Many Jews, this time not some, many Jews believed, as did many prominent Greek women and men. So here we have Paul, and we have his co-workers. They escape from Thessalonica, and they take their lives, and they go to the next city to do the very same thing they just did in Thessalonica. They do it all over again. They're starting another church made up of brand new believers and if we were to read all the way through this entire story we would find out that this is what Paul and his his co-workers did they went from major city to major city city to city country to country for many years doing the same thing so they left these brand new Thessalonica Uh, believers these new Jesus followers who had been following Jesus three weeks or less they gave them three weeks worth of instruction and training they laid a foundation for their entire lives for them to build the rest of their lives upon they did it in three weeks now that does not seem like enough time Paul then takes off, and now they have to fend for themselves against these Thessalonica Jesus haters, and they just had three weeks worth of training, three weeks worth of teaching. And now we have Paul and his team, they're in Berea doing the very same thing, but Thessalonica trouble follows them there. Here's what happens, verse 13. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching uh, the word of God in Berea, they went and they stirred up trouble. The believers, again, in now Berea, this little group of brand-new, brand-spanking-new believers, they acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. So this time, instead of leaving them by themselves... They leave somebody behind for a short period of time. Verse 15, those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. So now he's in this major town, major city, Athens. Then they, the escorts returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him, join Paul in Athens. All of this happens in a matter of months. They're in Thessalonica for three weeks. They're in Berea for a short stay. They're in Athens for a short stay. And then they move from Athens and they go to another town called Corinth. And this is where we find Paul. Every place they went, they were in the process of starting these new baby churches, new churches. And from Corinth, as Paul is starting new churches there from Corinth, Paul begins thinking about, as he probably hadn't stopped thinking about these Thessalonica believers, that just a couple months ago, he was with them for only three weeks. And I can't imagine how badly he wanted to get back. He had to leave in a hurry. He wanted to get back. He started the church, and he had to leave, not really to protect himself as much as to protect that church. For it to survive, Paul had to be gone, so he left. And Paul wanted them to have a stronger foundation so that they could stand these storms that were certainly coming their way, that all the new churches were facing in the first century. And so, from this town of Corinth, Paul takes time to write two letters to this church in Thessalonica. He wants to reinforce their spiritual foundation so that they can grow from it, so that they can build their lives upon it, so they can stand strong through the trouble that is now surrounding them. So, Paul is taking them back to school, Jesus style. And he does it by writing them some letters. We're going to be looking at one of those letters in this series, but he wrote them two from that location and sent them. And those two letters that he wrote probably became the second and the third of all the new covenant writings. James was circulating and now his letters to the Thessalonica church probably became the second and the third. So we're going to read through a lot of this, and I'm going to annotate some of it, let you know some details as we go. But I want to cover a lot of ground this morning in this first letter. Here we go. Chapter 1. This is a letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ May God give you grace and peace We always thank God for you and we pray for you constantly In fact today heads up as we finish today We're actually going to be singing a prayer as well And I can almost imagine the words that we're going to be singing I could almost imagine Paul thinking of these new believers as his children as they, they most certainly were kind of like his babies, right? And I could imagine him singing this same song over them that we're going to be singing over you today. Oh, I can't wait. It's coming up very, very, very soon. So he says, we always thank God for you and we pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of all of your faithful work, they were getting kind of famous based upon what they were doing. Your loving deeds and your enduring hope, faith, Love and hope. Did you hear that? And he says, all because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to highlight that and let you know um, that is the very first mention in all of Christian Christ centered literature where we have faith, hope, and love mentioned together. That's the first place. Verse four We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God's love. Uh, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not with words, but also with the power for the Holy spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was truth. And I want you to know that's true. We do know this, that it is God's spirit who draws all men to himself. And I'm going to have to have a wardrobe, uh, uh, correction here, or I'm going to be fighting this all day. I do apologize. I know it's horrible, and, and Zig Ziglar would never do this. There's no pastor in America that would do this. But if I don't, things are going to go over the internet that don't need to be seen over the internet. So I'm sorry. I had to do that. So um, this, uh, th- this is true, that we will only understand these things as God's Spirit works in our lives and makes us understand those things. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what's happening here. Your eyes have been opened to the truth by God's Spirit. And he goes on, and you know of our concern for you from, uh, from the way that we lived when we were with you. So Paul and his team, his co workers, lived in a very specific way among them because it was a very strategic in why they were doing it. Okay. And he goes on, he says, we lived in a special way. So you received the message with joy from the Holy spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. They didn't hide it. They were living in that suffering. There it is again, suffering. Paul says, you can expect it. It's going to happen. If there is no suffering, you may not really, Paul says, be following Jesus. Because, he says, in this way, you imitated both us. Paul's saying, hey, we didn't push you out there to suffer, we're suffering too. And you imitate the Lord who suffered and died for us. Verse 7, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia And uh, Akia. He's saying the world, the world is watching and they're hearing what's going on in your lives. In just a few months, this church has become an example to a big part of the world. Wow, this is huge. They have become an example. Um, And they got that foundation, they got that start from just a short time. And that foundation, they are now growing on, they're growing upon that foundation, they're building their lives upon that foundation. And they certainly did. And as Paul is hearing what's going on in their lives, Paul has become overcome, overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with emotion. He says in verse 8, and now, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere and beyond. Macedonia, Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living God. And that phrase there, him addressing this group as turning away from idols, is just another reminder to us this church is not mostly Jews, not half Jews. There are very few Jews. Mostly these are Gentiles who had turned away from idols. Wow, this is huge verse 10, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. I I just can't say this enough. This church is just a few months in to their following Jesus, and they are already, in just a few months, they are living each day by looking forward to the promise of the return of jesus how did they know about that we have people and know people who have been following jesus for 40 years and they don't look forward to the return they knew this in just a matter of weeks because paul placed that, laid that as part of their foundation teaching. And he goes on. Uh, He goes on. He said, he is the one who has rescued us, Jesus, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Wow. Then he moves into chapter two. He said, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We didn't fail. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi and just before we came to you and how we, how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. And Paul is reminding them, hey listen, we have suffered too. This is not just you we suffered before we got to you in Thessalonica. We suffered while we were there with you. And just so you know, he's saying we have suffered after that as well. Verse three. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit to, uh, or impure motives or trickery. Paul is saying, listen, you know because of the suffering, because of how we lived our lives among you, you know this is not about us. We're not trying to gain power. We're not trying to get your money. This is not about us. We're telling you the truth. We are living this truth with you. The very same thing that we're teaching you, we are living. And he's saying, listen, yes, church, there are predators out there who want power and who want your money, but we are not those predators. Verse four, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. And then he says, here's our purpose. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines our motives, the motives of our heart. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. In other words, that's what the predators are trying to do. They say what they need to say in order to take from you what they want to take from you. He said, And our God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. Simply put, Paul goes on to describe how as uh, as being church starters, he said, we could have, we could have placed demands on you as a new church to support this ministry of starting church. We could have, he said, but we didn't do it. We didn't ask it, he said, we didn't expect it. Paul and his associates in this time of suffering and trauma as the church was being born in this first century. They didn't want to be misunderstood. He goes on. So day after day, for three weeks, Paul is there. He says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you, here's what they urged, to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Paul is saying, church, and he could say to us too, Church, here's what you do. This is a major part of the foundation, Paul is saying, that I'm laying into your lives and into this church. And he did that in his first three weeks. And now he's saying in this letter, just a couple months later, I'm reminding you of that foundation that I laid in your lives for you to build the rest of your life upon. He says, This, live in a way. That God would consider that worthy, worthy of His kingdom and worthy of His glory. And I just think about that. Think with me for just a moment. Could it be? Is it possible that's enough of a foundation for each day? for the rest of your life, and the rest of my life, and the rest of their lives. To live in this moment, moment by moment, every day, in a way that God sees what you did, and he nods in agreement. In that moment, what you said, what you did, he nods in agreement with those words. That in that moment, God is nodding in agreement with your interaction with another person. Wow. Because somehow that foundation that Paul laid with them sank very deeply into their lives very quickly. And Paul is getting word of this. And Paul is emotional. And Paul is thankful. And he says now, therefore, we never stop thanking God. That when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. And he says, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And Paul is saying, you're doing this in the face of pain. Paul is saying, yes, I understand things are not great for you. Yes, I understand you are hurting. And then he goes on, verse 14. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your very own countrymen. And in this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who because of their belief in Jesus Christ, suffered from their very own people too, the Jews. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you. It's as if they're his children, right? As if a father speaking to his children. Our hearts never left you. We tried very hard to come back to you because of our intense longing to see you again. Listen, he understood. He was there three weeks. He had three weeks to lay a foundation for the rest of their lives. The most mature believer, the pastor of the church, had only been following Jesus three weeks. Wow. Wow. He said you know how ba- badly we intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you and I Paul I tried again and again and Satan prevented us. After all what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he Returns. I pause here to remind you, Paul is constantly reminding them Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. But you know what we think? In North America, because he didn't come last night, because he didn't come last year or last decade or last millennia, well, he's not coming tomorrow. Paul said, He's coming. He's going to return. And once again, Paul is looking forward, living his life, thinking Jesus is returning. Paul has this hope in this kingdom of Jesus that's coming. And Paul is telling them, These believers following Jesus now, just a matter of weeks, a matter of months, he's saying, do you know who I'm looking forward to seeing when I'm standing at the feet of Jesus? After I have seen Jesus, do you know what I'm looking for next? He says, it is you. Verse 20, yes, you are our pride and joy. And this is Paul, like a proud father, like a proud parent, crying tears of joy at their child's wedding. I don't know if y'all cried yesterday, but tears of joy at your child's wedding. It happens. Sometimes we suck them like, I'm not going to cry today. I'm not going to cry today, but tears of joy. He's saying, I just let them flow. I cried tears of joy. It's like at a child's wedding or at a child's graduation. At a moment um, uh, when you're you're marking something special for your child. The Crawfords did with Mason this weekend in, in Arizona. Tears of joy at their child's success. That's what we do, right? Now imagine Paul standing there at the feet of Jesus. And then he looks over and he sees you standing with him. I think it might be sad to say that most American Christ followers might not ever experience that. Because most American Christ followers are busy making and living living a life living a life to make their families happy. Living a life to give their families what they want in this earth and on this world. Mostly separated from the desires of God. They're not living in a way where God would say, oh yes, that's worthy. Worthy of my kingdom. Worthy of my glory. No, no, neither worthy of his kingdom nor worthy of his glory. No, instead he might look and see them living lives that give their family the lives that their family wants in this world and on this kingdom of earth. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I cannot wait until the day that I stand at the feet of Jesus and I get to look over and I get to see you, you, this church of Thessalonica, I get to see you with me. I can't wait to see you again, but I really, on earth, but I really can't wait to see you there. And so Paul is laying this foundation, saying you need to live in such a way that you're expecting his return, which is going to cause you to live in a way that God could nod with agreement, saying that's worthy. That's worthy of my glory. That's worthy of my kingdom. He goes on, chapter three. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He's our brother and God's co worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. And we sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles that you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you the troubles that would soon come, and they did. And you know well. And that's why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy out to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Now, I just want to pause here. I want to plant a seed for what's coming in October. I find it very interesting that Paul would say to these people who are beginning to follow Jesus that it's possible that my work with you was useless. And here's the question I'm posing. We're going to talk about it in great detail in October. Is it possible that there are people who claim to be followers of Jesus and they do some of the right things. They say some of the right things. It looks like they are. But in retrospect, you look back and you say, no, they're not following. That was a waste of time. They're not followers of Jesus. I posed the question. We're going to talk about it in great detail in October. It's coming up. But here Paul says, I was afraid that it all ended up being. A waste of time. Useless. But now, verse 6, but now... Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and your love. And he reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in faith. And it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. And how we thank God for you because you, uh, because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Verse 10, night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again and fill the gaps in your faith. And that's what Paul's doing with these letters. He only had three weeks to lay the foundation, and he had to scram. Three weeks. Three weeks. And he had to leave. And now there's a pastor in the church. There are elders in the church. Have only been following Jesus for weeks. Now, at this point, for just a couple of months, a few months. And Paul says, we've got to fill in some gaps. So he writes these two letters. Verse 11, may God, our father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all the people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your hearts strong because of this foundation, strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God, our father Here it is again. When our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. And there we have Paul's first three chapters. And one time in every one of those three chapters, Paul reminds them of the very same thing. It's a crucial critical part of what paul is doing he says i'm laying this foundation and a very important very important very fundamental part of this foundation is that you remember jesus is returning and so live in such a way that you remember jesus is coming again any day now And when you live in that way, expecting that Jesus could be back today, then you will make decisions and you will have interactions with other people around you. And you will be reflecting and living a life in such a way that God will nod in agreement. He says, God, nodding in agreement that your life is worthy of his kingdom, that it reflects his glory. Now, the church in Thessalonica at this moment is just months old. And it seems that the world around them was talking about what was going on, talking about them and their lives that were changing and being changed, that their lives were being built upon this foundation that had been laid you know your sister church just down the road the church in Malvern that started in 2021 great time to start a church around COVID but that church is just a toddler now two years old just a toddler the Stuttgart Harvest Church guess what we're just a teenager That's just our baby sister down the road. We're just a teenager. We're 13 years old. We're pimple-faced teenagers right now. Stuttgart Harvest Church. Here's our question. Do we have the same foundation of the three-month-old church in Thessalonica? Is that our foundation as well for our lives? Has the foundation of the church in Malvern, the Stuttgart Harvest Church right here, has that foundation resulted in changed and changing lives? Has that foundation resulted, let's bring it home now, to your life changing? Resulting in news, traveling. About changed lives. Maybe even resulting in troubles coming because of it. Or. Are we. Living lives of relatively no change. Week after week. Day after day. Month after month. Lives instead that have been lived with the foundation. Mostly for me. And my family simply giving god an hour on sunday maybe maybe an hour for a small group once a week if we're really hitting it hard some here a little there and i want to be very very clear i am not asking this question out of judgment far from it i'm just simply thinking about the perspective that paul might have had and the questions that he might have for us today. And as Paul looked at this church where he was only with them 3 weeks and he feared that he had wasted his time in the end that it would have been a useless 3 weeks until he heard about their faithfulness and he heard about their love. So the question I think is an honest question. What would Paul say about you? What would he say about me? What would he say about us? Would he thank God for us? Would our lives encourage him and give him new life, a new breath in the midst of suffering? Or would Paul say, Timothy, I don't know. Silas, I don't know. It looks like it ended up being a waste of time. I mean, look at the way they're living their lives for themselves and just their family. It proves it. So, this month, this month, let's Let's go back to school Jesus style. And let's inspect our foundation that we have been building our lives upon. Let's look at it, inspect it the way Paul might look at it and inspect it. And let's determine if maybe we need to have God's spirit fill in some gaps for us or maybe determine if we need to start over so that we can live in such a way that we remember that Jesus is coming again, and it could be any day now. And when we do that, Oh, I truly believe that God's spirit is going to be all over you and all over me, and forming a life lived in such a way that God nods with agreement. So let's live in a way that God might say of your life and my life, and together our lives that is worthy of my kingdom that reflects my glory let's pray Father as we look at our lives today as we over the course of this series look at the foundation upon which we have been building our lives As we look at that, may we begin to think from the perspective of Paul. And what would he say about our lives? What would he say? Would he say that he wasted his time? Turns out, I wasted my time. Would he say that, Jesus? But more importantly than what Paul would say, more importantly than what Paul would think, oh, Jesus, what would you say to us? Jesus, what do you think? So we ask you, Jesus, through the course of this series, through the course of August, as we look at this letter that your spirit guided Paul to write. What do you, Jesus, want to place in our foundation of our lives? And may we submit to you. And may we allow your spirit to do just that. Jesus, and all these things, we ask that you make it so.